Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I know Christmas is now a faded memory of an event that we enjoyed many weeks ago now, but I still have pleasant memories of last Christmas. It was the one of the most enjoyable Christmases that I remember having had in ages. What I mean is we had plenty of lead-up opportunities to Christmas Day. Circumstances dictated that we ended up at our son's home in Wheaton, Illinois, for Christmas 2014. Then our daughter found that her circumstances had altered, so she and her husband and children decided to join us in Wheaton. We tried to find a way to encourage our second son to come with his family from Nassau to make the circle complete, but his business needs made that impractical. So we did not expect him and his wife and two sons to come for Christmas 2014. Too bad. They will have spent Christmas in Nassau with us and the other Christmases in the past. Before this Christmas Day ever came, though, those of us in Wheaton busied ourselves with all the preparations for this wonderful event. The many things connected with the traditional Christmas dinner with all of the trimmings. My daughter-in-law is known for her cookies of many designs and colors, as well as her red velvet cake. This year, we decided to go with prime rib instead of turkey, since we had only just had a lot of turkey in the Thanksgiving, only a few weeks before. Then there was ham to make up the alternate meat and the fixings that accompanied a really wonderful Christmas Day meal with family and friends. It was a very busy few days. The Sunday before Christmas was when the celebrations really got started. We went to church at the usual time, but for an unusual service. The music was, as to be expected, Christmas carols. The church that we attended holds about 3,000 people, and it was almost full. You can imagine the sound of all those people singing carols lustily. Then the pastor spoke on the peace that the angels announced that day to the shepherds of Bethlehem. His approach was interesting and from a perspective that I don't ever remember hearing before. In a world, it was fantastic. He ended with a really strong appeal to know this Savior about whom he had been speaking. This Christmas service would not soon be forgotten.
I said it was a full day. After church, we were invited to my son's father-in-law for lunch, after which we then had to make a quick dash to the well-known Willow Creek Community Church, which was about 45 minutes away from lunch. At Willow Creek, which itself holds over 7,000 people in their main sanctuary, there was a Christmas story production. Now this blew me away, as young people say. The music was unbelievably rich and varied. The singing was incredible with so many voices praising God for sending Jesus to die for us. The production itself was professionally done and told the Christmas story from the time of the announcement to Mary through their need to go to Bethlehem to be registered. And this is when the manger and Christ's birth came into play. Afterwards, Pastor Hybels gave a 15-minute Christmas message that wrapped it all up in a neat package with a wonderful appeal that was hard to ignore. Well, by the time we arrived home again, it was dark outside and we were thinking we all had a really wonderful day. When we knew that we would have to pace ourselves on Christmas Day, when we would enjoy the blessings that God has so graciously given to us. Well, we remember those who are not so fortunate, especially those who suffer for their faith. And my son will, and did, as our tradition, read twice the night before Christmas for the little ones in the family. Then before we opened our gifts, we read the scriptures to tell of the Lord's birth and the true meaning of Christmas, just to bring things back to a simple reality. the fragrance of flowers, like the soft summer showers, is the peace that my Savior has given. Like the dew of the morning, all the hillsides adorning, is the peace that my Savior has given. Savior 
message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings to you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk of peace and war has increased over the past few years. Words such as ISIS, ISIL, Ukraine, Iraq, Afghanistan, Israel, Jihad, Holy War, Islamic, terrorists, all these are common everyday words to us. Added to this, of course, is a major focus of persecution of Christians around the world. This has motivated me to search the scriptures to see what Jesus himself says about peace, war, and persecution, especially of believers. I have concluded that the place where Jesus deals more concisely, but yet very precisely with these issues, is his Sermon on the Mount. And so, with his help, and in keeping with his will, and although I spoke about this a little while ago over the program, I will seek to discuss Beatitudes number 7 and 8 in my next two messages, that is, today and next time, Lord willing. Someone has said, Washington has lots of peace monuments. That is because they build one after each war. Did you get that? Washington has lots of peace monuments because they build one after each war. Another person defines peace as, and I quote, that rare moment in history when everyone stops to reload. End of quote. Do you know that the UN was established in 1948 to bring a cessation to war and establish peace among the nations of the world? Yet, there hasn't been a single day of peace since that time. The media, of course, reminds us of that every day. At this moment, the world is trying to celebrate a ceasefire agreement between warring factors in the Ukraine and Russia. The strange thing is that now there is still fighting among both sides, among those who disagree with some of the terms agreed upon by the leaders. So in actuality, there's no real ceasefire agreement at all, only a pretended one, 
a time to reload. The peacemakers seem unable to make peace. That is characteristic of our day. But now Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that he wants his disciples who live in this world to be peacemakers, his peace corps on earth. This is what he says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. But now exactly what does that mean? Let's look at this passage, verse 9 of chapter 5, the book of Matthew, to see what Jesus is saying. Notice, first of all, the basis and result of being peacemaker. Jesus says, they will be called the sons of God. And this is vitally important to understand what is being said here. There are two words that are translated sons or children in the New Testament. And that's technon and uioi. Technon is a specific word for children, the general word. Uioi means son. It is used to emphasize the trait, characteristic, or distinction of honor. For instance, Barnabas is called the son of consolation rather than a consoling or comforting man. You see, he was characterized by consolation. It was a part of his nature, who he was as a person. James and John, on the other hand, are called the sons of thunder rather than men who were tough and rough and loud and boisterous. They were by nature tough and militant. They were the sons of thunder. So when it says that the result of being peacemakers would be that Jesus' disciples will be called the sons of God, it means that they will be known for their God-likeness. They will be like him because that is who he is, a peacemaker. Our peacemaking will help us to be like our Heavenly Father and our Savior. This is the blessing promised in this beatitude. But now, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Again, let's look at the meaning of this word peace. It's the Greek word irene, and in the Hebrew it is shalom. It does not only mean the absence of war, conflict, or trouble, but more positively, peace means the enjoyment of all that is good. Not only a lack of conflict or tension, but the enjoyment of fellowship. At least three aspects of peace are given in the New Testament. First, peace exists between God and man as a result of man's faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57.20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. But second, peace is also an attitude that pervades the person who trusts God for all aspects of his or her life. For instance, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's the peace with God, and there's the peace of God. But third, peace is also an attitude of a person who is enjoying a right relationship with his fellow man. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This is the emphasis that Jesus is making in Matthew 5, 9 concerning peacemakers.
Peace, therefore, is a state of tranquility with God and man based on faith in Jesus Christ that leads to an attitude of contentment in life because of confidence in God's love that results in the enjoyment of God's blessings in all of life's situations and relationships. That's the meaning of peace as used in the Beatitude. But now let's really look at the significance and meaning of peacemaker. Based upon what we've just learned about peace in the Scriptures, here is my definition of a peacemaker according to the Word of God. A peacemaker is one who is actively engaged in helping to maintain and restore harmony between God and man and man and man. Now let's look very briefly at how a peacemaker is to do his or her work according to the Scriptures. First, with regards to harmony between God and man, a peacemaker does his or her work by proclaiming the gospel. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to him by Christ Jesus, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, to witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's how a peacemaker tries to bring peace between God and man by proclaiming the gospel. But secondly, he also does it by living wisely. Listen to the words of James in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envies and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But listen carefully now. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That is, my friend, how the peacemaker does his work. But now, with regards to establishing and maintaining harmony between man and man, because if it's one thing we can be sure of, it's that troublemakers are always present and there's always a need for peacemakers. A peacemaker is a believer who actively, truthfully, and immediately seeks to deal with all interpersonal matters which result in creating tension, disharmony, strife, or division between fellow believers. There are three major causes for interpersonal conflict. One, you have caused an offense by word or action, or you have been offended by someone's word or action. Or thirdly, there's a tension that is due to uncertain or explained misunderstanding. Like in Joshua 22, the ten tribes mistook the attempt of the two tribes on the other side of Jordan when they were building some worship uh, areas. They thought that they were building these worship centers to worship pagan gods. They were actually building it to worship God. And they were about to attack them, but someone wisely said, let's go and ask them what's happening. 
They went and they spoke to them and they found out that they were actually building places of worship to worship Yahweh, the true and living God. And so a major war was avoided because they took time to explain what was happening and the misunderstanding was cleared up. So if not dealt with properly, these conflicts can lead to alienation, separation, and years of pain, heartache, and wasted service for God. That's why God says in Proverbs 18, verse 19, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. End of quote. The proper method of dealing with an offended brother or sister is therefore essential. But then how are these situations to be handled biblically by a peacemaker? The Bible is very clear. First, he or she must take the initiative to correct the situation. In other words, do something about it. Don't simply leave it with the idea that it will eventually go away. It won't. True disciples take the initiative to make things right. They are not merely peace lovers. They are peacemakers. But secondly, the peacemaker controls his or her anger. In other words, he always displays meekness. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. But then thirdly, the peacemaker takes the initiative seriously, realizing that worship of God and anger toward a brother or sister cannot coexist. Jesus says that in Matthew 5.23, quote, If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God can wait even to receive worship until a difference is cleared up between a brother and a sister. But fourth, a peacemaker takes the initiative immediately. He doesn't wait. Again, Jesus deals with this in Matthew 5.25. He says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and you be cast into prison. Peacemaker acts immediately. But fifth, the peacemaker takes the initiative boldly, regardless of the consequences. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. If your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have won your brother. He takes the initiative aggressively and boldly. But six, he, the peacemaker takes the initiative righteously in the proper way. James 3.18 addresses this. He says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It's not peace at any price, my friends. It's peace based on righteousness and justice. No compromise, no cover-up. Everything is to be justly done. But finally, the peacemaker takes the initiative all the way. He doesn't leave it. Jesus deals with this in Matthew 18 as well. He says, If your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, 
then tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. In other words, someone who needs to be evangelized again. In other words, according to the word of God we're saying today, resolution is the final goal in making peace. This is the work of a peacemaker, the kind of work that characterized us as being godlike, the kind of work that a true disciple is always and consistently committed to. And this is the kind of peacemaking we need in our world today and we need to pray earnestly to bring about. Jesus says that a true disciple is one who brokers peace both between God and man and between man and man. Let me ask you then, are you such a person? Are you a peacemaker in this violent culture in which we live? I trust that you are. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again